0: A brief update, it's May the 12th, 2024, I've released just two episodes of this year, my father-in-law passed away in January, he bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years, rest in peace John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. What followed was an awesome yet frantic sequence. Wes Matthews missed a 21-footer. Corzine grabbed a long rebound and went up strong. McAdoo said, no, you Maca, don't, and rejected (laughs) Dave into the middle of March. (laughs) Matthews grabbed the block. Mr. Short put back at the rim, which then led to a gorgeous Lakers fast break. Magic looked right and then dished off a really pretty pass to his left, hit a streaking Michael Cooper for the easy lay-in. Skip Carey then said, Magic Johnson is a one-man clinic. Oh, I've got to take a breath after that.
1: I always like to say that Michael got to play with me for a year at North Carolina. (laughs) I think it really helped him. Spectacular player from the beginning.
0: You can see right away, Jordan was going to be a big-time scorer. And showed what an impact he was going to have on the league. This is NB85, celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Michael
1: Jordan's rookie season in the NBA. And now, your hosts, Adam Ryan and Aaron Steen.
0: Welcome to another episode of the NB85 series, Aaron. We're up to episode
1: 21. How are you today, mate? Very well, mate. Back in the Tacoma downtown studios, the plush (laughs) downtown Tacoma, NBA 85 Studios.
0: Now, today, mate, we're going to be chatting about two more of the Chicago Bulls' regular season games during this 84-85 season. The first, LA Lakers versus Chicago, February 19th, 1985. The game was played at Chicago Stadium in Chicago, Illinois, in front of 19,052 people. And the coaches for each team, Chicago was led by Kevin Lockery and the LA Lakers were led by Pat Riley. Now, the TV coverage that we allegedly had copies of for this game was headed up by Skip Carey and John Andres. A quick random stat, mate, before we get going. The Lakers were on a seven-game win streak, and they were looking to avenge an at-home loss to the Bulls back on the 2nd of December in 1984. This was Chicago's second TBS telecast of the season. Their previous one was only about five games into the season on the 1st of November at Denver.
1: It was actually a loss at home to Chicago. That's actually getting a bit of press at the moment with the, the Nike airship that Jordan was wearing in that game at the Forum are actually about to go up for auction online. Oh, nice
0: one, mate. I haven't actually heard about that yet, so
1: good to see. Expected to bring somewhere in the other uh, six figures <laughs> mark, apparently, so extremely rare basketball memorabilia, man. You mentioned before that Skip Carey was on the call for TBS. Skip was son of Chicago broadcasting legend Harry Carey. Impressive, mate. I like that. I actually was aware of the relationship, but I'm glad that you've mentioned it. At this stage of the NBA season, both teams were averaging an extraordinary 18 turnovers per game. Mm. This shows the pace of the game in 1985 when you factor in 18 turnovers and the much higher points per game totals by teams so there were definitely more possessions in an NBA game back then the first score of the game was Magic using that 6-9 frame of his to see over the the Chicago D as he hit Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for an alley-oop layup MJ's first shot of the game was blocked by Byron Scott on the baseline and Byron showed great hops to get a piece of that shot
0: I think that actually may have surprised a few people, and even the commentators reacted that way too.
1: Yeah, he really got up on it. John Andreas mentioned the great matchup in this game between Orlando Woolridge and James Worthy, just as Orlando hit his first bucket, a fadeaway in the lane over James Worthy. MJ's first score came from a great effort on corralling consecutive offensive rebounds, Moses Malone style, then turned in the lane for a fadeaway. Skip Carey described Kareem who misses one of two at the line at the time, as one of the stars of the movie Airplane, a favourite of yours, Adam. (laughs) It is. I referenced that in a previous episode. Steve Johnson was active early in blocking a Kareem shot at the rim and was really going after every rebound. It makes me wonder if he was desperately trying to hold on to that mantle as the team's leading rebounder after MJ laid down the challenge. Very much could have been, mate, because MJ certainly threw down the gauntlet. Orlando's second score of the game was a spectacular off-the-break two-handed double-clutch jam to make the score 12-5 in favour of Chicago. The Bulls were really rolling early in front of a packed Chicago stadium. They showed the standing room seats right up the very back and every one of the 19,052 fans were enjoying the fast start by the Bulls yeah, that was really good. I loved it when I zoomed in there because you could
0: see them packed in like sardines at the very top. It was very impressive to see.
1: And for those of us who unfortunately never saw a game at Chicago Stadium, that shot it showed the bricks right at the very back in the standing room section at the stadium, which was a shot of the the old barn that I'd never seen before. Pretty cool mate. MJ's second score came on a blow past Baron Scott on the baseline. The young Bulls were clearly pumped up to be playing the Lakers at home, and this, combined with LA's inability to convert early, got the Bulls off to an absolute flyer. I'd like to interject here for just a
0: sec, mate. I'm thinking this game must have been an absolute build-up of epic proportions for Jordan. He idolised Magic Johnson, as we've since learnt over the previous years, and particularly with some more recent biographies. He ideally wanted to actually play with the Lakers, but because of their stacked team already, he didn't want to go to them because he wouldn't have had the opportunities. In comes Magic and the Lakers. They actually stole a win in LA in December. And all of a sudden in Jordan's rookie season, he's playing against Magic in his own home city now and wanted to really put on a great show. Unfortunately, in this instance, it didn't really happen for him. But of course he had many instances in the future where he absolutely dominated the LA
1: Lakers. And also in front of, 19,052 people, which included standing room patrons as well, and that many people jammed into the old stadium. The joint would have been absolutely rocking. Absolutely. With the score at 18-11, to MJ sliced down the lane for a a pretty lane. Magic then counted off the inbound with a coast-to-coast layup of his own. The pace of the game was typically fast, with the Showtime Lakers on the court. Halfway through the first, Magic somewhat exploded offensively with an array of layups, jump shots, and even a dunk on an LA 8-2 run to bring the game back to 22-19 in favor of Chicago. MJ went to the bench early in the game with his second foul on a Kareem three-point play. Kareem then missed the free throw only to have the shortest guy on the court, Byron Scott, get the offensive board. He then fed the ball back into Kareem who hit a sky hook to give the Lakers their first lead at 27-26. to the depth of talent was on show in the first quarter for the LA Lakers. Kurt Rambis, who started the game, checked out of the game with 1.15 remaining for three-time NBA scoring champ Bob McAdoo.
0: Yeah, and this was really good because that led me onto to a bit of a rabbit hole of research. I wanted to find out more about McAdoo, particularly after reading part of Jeff Perlman's excellence book, Showtime, which I'm still develop developing, still digesting. So... Let's deviate for a moment. McAdoo is a Hall of Famer. He had three consecutive seasons where he scored 30 points per game or more from 1974 through 76 with the Buffalo Braves, who would then become the San Diego Clippers and now the LA Clippers. He was the NBA MVP in 1975, and now it's time for some shameless self-promotion. Former podcast guest Rick Barry talked about the 1975 MVP voting, which was determined at that stage by NBA player votes and that was in episode 46 of the In Orlanders podcast. Inorlanders.com slash 46, a really good conversation, if I don't say so myself, and he talked about that entire period of time as well. So McAdoo was definitely underrated somewhat, even though he was a great player in the years preceding this mid-80s matchup.
1: You'd have to figure that a MVP award voted on by your peers would mean more than one voted on by the the media, When you think, mate? Yeah, for sure, mate. And Rick Barry... I don't want to have to name drop, but Rick Barry did
0: say that during the conversation that I had with him. He said that his relationship with fellow players is what most likely cost him winning the award in 75, which is even a more
1: interesting wrinkle. Was that before or after Rick was hawking his basketball shoes on your podcast? (laughs) That was before. The Lakers moved the lead out to 33-30 to on scoring repeatedly at the hoop. The commentators even made mention that they were just shooting layups at this stage. Wes Matthews was giving Magic absolute hell defensively when he checked into the game. He was doing his best to upset Magic, who had the clear height advantage over him. Quinn Daly checked in for MJ and it was instant offense, surprise, surprise, with an 18-footer with Michael Cooper hanging all over him. It was one of the toughest shots I've ever seen an NBA (laughs) player make. And then he beat the quarter-time buzzer with a layup over Bob McAdoo to make the score 38 apiece after one quarter.
0: Plenty of defense being played to this point. Now, in the second quarter, mate, the commentators were actually talking about the fast-paced nature of that first quarter, and they actually wondered if the players had the endurance to even see the game through to its conclusion. So that was quite telling.
1: It made sense because it was a furious pace in in the first quarter, and as I mentioned before, I think when you had the 85 Showtime Lakers on the court, you know, it was always going to be that way. Orlando
0: Woolridge then opened up the quarter with a mid-range jumper, and a few plays later... He had a strong dunk in between James Worthy and Mitch Kupchak. Just a random side note, if you go to YouTube and type in Mitch Kupchak mix, you'll get a great clip of Mitch from his playing career. There's some really good highlights put together by a very obsessed fan who uh, likes his
1: Polish-American NBA players. There's going to be a heck of a rush to YouTube now for everyone (laughs) wanting to go and check out the Mitch Kupchak mix. I tell you,
0: it's actually very entertaining. Get in line. I watched it a couple of times over a few months ago when it first went online. Um Where were we? I don't even know what we we're talking about. I think, oh yeah, Mitch Kupchak. Okay, so following that, Wes Matthews was all over Magic Johnson like the proverbial cheap suit. The refs briefly halted play to settle things down, so things were getting a bit chippy between the two. And number 44 for the Bulls, Quinton Daly tied the score at 44-44 on a nifty floater in the lane. He was on song in this game, as I like to say. LA's Michael Cooper was seemingly hitting from all spots on the floor, keeping the scores close with Kareem getting some good rest on the bench at the same time. Now, what followed was an awesome yet frantic sequence. Wes Matthews missed a 21-footer. Corzine grabbed a long rebound and went up strong. McAdoo said, no, you Maca, don't, and rejected (laughs) Dave into the middle of March. (laughs) Matthews grabbed the block. Mr. Short put back at the rim, which then led to a gorgeous Lakers fast break. Magic looked right and then dished off a really pretty pass to his left, hit a streaking Michael Cooper for the easy lay-in. Skip Carey then said, Magic Johnson is a one-man clinic. Oh, I've got to take a breath after that. Jordan checked back into the game as Magic sat down with his third foul. And at this stage, I had to make note of the Lakers lineup. We had Michael Cooper, Bob McAdoo, Mitch Kupchak, Mike McGee, and Larry Spriggs in the contest.
1: And unless I hadn't have completely read Jeff Pellman's Showtime, I wouldn't have a clue who Larry Spriggs was, but he gets a mention in the book. Maybe when you get a chance to make it at least halfway through the book, you'll actually read a, a bit about the aforementioned Larry Spriggs. I've learned about Kurt Rambis sleeping on the floor at
0: a friend's house in the first couple of years of his NBA career, I've just read about Jamal Wilkes, so I'm probably getting close to the point where some of these other players are covered in some depth as well. It's just a fantastic read, too, for what it's worth. It really is. Uh MJ then hit on a pretty fadeaway from about 15 feet, which gave him 10 points in the first half. Then Rod Higgins threw up a wild mid-range jumper that nearly broke the fingers of about four players who were going oh. for the unexpected rebound. Jordan corralled the miss. We've both used the word corralled in this episode and put the shot back in. That gave him 14 points for the game at that stage.
1: If we both use the word corralled, it's okay.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. It took me about half a second to cotton <laughs> on that, but that's fantastic. Daly continued to have his great game by connecting on a baseline floater that also came down with ice on it. That put Chicago in the lead 57 to 56, Mike McGee scored on a couple of quick buckets, a nice jam on the break, followed by a sneaky little layup, which gave the Lakers a four-point lead as we headed towards intermission. Apparently, it's a movie. Byron Scott checked into the game and immediately hit a three-pointer. Skip Carey said it was a twenty-six footer, so I had to rewind the play. Given Byron Scott's location at the time, the only person who could have actually made a twenty-six footer would literally have been Pat Riley. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, I'm prone to exaggeration, so I appreciated that from Skip nonetheless. Cooper hit on a long two and was fouled by Jordan, and that was the third on MJ. He gave the look and then the body language towards the ref that countless future opponents of Jordan would also do when they were called for dubious fouls. The Lakers extended to a 12-point lead on the back of a dry spell from Chicago where they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. Some Steve Johnson free throws closed the margin to end the half, and the Bulls outscored thirty five to twenty five in the quarter, and the Lakers had a seventy three to sixty three lead after just two.
1: Moving into the third quarter, the Lakers shot a woeful sixty seven percent in the first half to the Bulls fifty percent, including twenty fast break points for LA, and their bench outscored Chicago's by twelve. MJ was doubled early by Wes Matthews' man in the third quarter and then hit the wide open Wes for the first score of the second half. Hopefully that made sense. The Lakers' second score of the third term was a Magic Johnson one-on-four layup around four Chicago Bulls. Skip Carey said the Bulls players looked like four cigar store Indians as they stood there watching Magic lay the ball in one-on-four. Steve Johnson had a massive two-handed dunk on Kareem waved off on a travelling call. An amazing player, a pity that it was waved off. The score at this point was 86-73 in favor of LA. Byron Scott was on fire in the third term and even drew the junior magic nickname from the commentators. Midway through the term, he was six for seven from the field, including two for two on threes to extend the Laker lead to 97-85. Scott then hit his third triple of the quarter. And then played the passing lanes on the next possession to get the steal and went coast to coast for the layup and the three point opportunity with the foul on Wes Matthews to give him 15 points for the quarter. On the next play of the game, poor old Dave Corzine drew booze, (laughs) drew booze from the crowd after being blocked on his second layup attempt in the last few possessions for Chicago. On the very next play, he draw more boos after getting spectacularly blocked under the hoop by Coop, but on this play, he stuck with it and got a three-point opportunity for his efforts. Oh, dear. Well, I'm glad he stuck with the play and then at least was rewarded by a bucket. The Lakers started this quarter shooting only 11 for 12 <laughs> on the field. That's poor. Wes Matthews was one of those guys who I think could have had a much more decorated career were it not for his off-court issues. He was a... Tenacious defender, hard-nosed, very athletic at the point guard spot and can make an 18-footer on a consistent basis. Now, it was either in this game or the one that
0: we'll be chatting about following this game where the commentators even made mention of that as well, the fact that he could have been a
1: a much more decorated player. Orlando then got the lead back to eight points, 102-94 to on an 18-footer and the commentators mentioned that with the Lakers shooting 92% in the quarter that they couldn't pull away from the Bulls who shot 60% themselves in that term. Both teams were ridiculously hot in this quarter from the field and uh, the third quarter ended with the score at 104-96, to an eight-point lead to the LA Lakers.
0: Now as we entered the fourth, the Lakers were clearly struggling from the field, shooting just 92%. As you mentioned, they hoped to finally put the game away. Quentin Daly had other ideas, continuing his fine game with an early jumper. What was a 15-point deficit was now just six. The Lakers were 104-98. to 98. MJ then drove baseline and went up for another pretty-looking jumper. However, McAdoo was right there swatting it away. Daly grabbed the loose ball and then hit another jumper. He scored the ball's first six points of the last quarter. Now, Jordan really wanting to make an impact on this game. He drove strong to the hoop but was called for an offensive foul. That was his fifth foul of the game. He never really got into the game as he normally would have owned fourth quarters, even from early into this rookie campaign. Woolridge then hit on a gorgeous spin move between two defenders and drew the foul. He made the free throw and the Bulls were right back in the game, only down 110 to 107. Later, a Woolridge free throw gave him 30 points for the night and brought the ball to within two points. Worthy then scored on a nice post move at the other end and Daly hit another jumper in transition. Quinton had 26 points and the Bulls were again within two points. Caldwell Jones, of all people, hit an open 17-footer. He was shown no respect from the Lakers, probably because he wasn't expected to hit the shot, I guess. Probably Probably rightfully so. Yeah, now think about it. Tying the game at 112, and the Bulls had a couple of opportunities to actually take the lead but came up short. The next play down the floor for the Lakers, nobody was hanging with Mr. Cooper, and he scored an easy two, (laughs) giving the Lakers a two-point edge. Too easy. Kareem then connected on a left-hand running skyhook, which was a beautiful shot, after missing on at least three of his previous right-handed hook shots. A couple of plays later, he hit on another floating hook, this time from about 11 feet. And I wrote down in my notes here, what an incredible, virtually unblockable shot. And at this stage, it was 119 to 113, and the Lakers were back in control.
1: A virtually unblockable shot, the skyhook. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Well, mate. I only
0: say virtually unblockable because in Jeff Perlman's book, this episode is not sponsored by Showtime, but it should be, he mentions the fact that Kareem actually did get blocked in one of the early 1980s playoff games. It's true. Put that in your cigar store Indian pipes and smoking. (laughs) Um, Magic and Kareem then played a great two-man game with the give-and-go. Kareem dished off to Magic at the hoop and he hit on a ridiculous layup with a degree of difficulty that would have made Greg Luganis blush. MJ then hit on a couple of free throws late in the game. That was his only score of the second half, so a masterful job by the Lakers shutting down Jordan. The Lakers then played a little keepings off to pretty much close out the game. LA sucked the air out of Chicago Stadium, and what was a mostly exciting game to watch ended with very little fanfare and the actual spectators emptying the building at a rate of knots.
1: You could really feel the swing in momentum in the game in the fourth quarter When Chicago brought it back to only a two-point LA lead, it was from that point where LA just went, nah, we've had enough of this, and they just completely shut the Bulls down and, and took off and won by 10 points in the end.
0: The final score was 127 to 117. The Lakers were victors, and the Bulls dropped to 25 and 28 on the season. Some quick stats... For Chicago, Orlando Woolridge had an absolute belter, 30 points and 9 rebounds. Quentin Daly had 26 points and 5 assists, so a great game from Quentin, And he also had a beauty against the Lakers back in December as well, very similar stat line. Wes Matthews had 18 points, so a very good game from him. Jordan was held to 16 points, but he had 6 rebounds and 8 assists to compensate somewhat. For the Lake Show, Kareem had 27 points, 9 boards, 6 assists and 3 blocks if you don't mind. Byron Scott, who I think was actually named the player of the game on the TV broadcast, had 22 points. Magic Johnson had 20 and 11 assists, and Michael Cooper had 19 points.
1: I think, as you've written here,
0: Brian Scott. (laughs) (laughs) I have (laughs) to. Byron, don't call me Brian Scott.
1: Brian Russell. Mm. Undoubtedly, Byron Scott got the player of the game awarded Simply because of his third quarter, he could not miss a shot.
0: Yeah, you detailed some of the heroics from Byron in that particular uh, stanza, mate.
1: Stanza. Um, Anything you want to add at all from that game there, mate, or just move straight on? When we give the listeners that much information, there literally isn't anything else we could tell. (laughs) All right.
0: Let's move on then, mate. Our next game for discussion is... Chicago versus Boston, February 22nd, 1985. Now, this game was actually played at Hartford, Connecticut, which was the home away from home for the Boston Celtics during part of the mid-'80s, and it was played at the Hartford Civic Centre in front of 15,685 fans, complete sellout. The coaches for this game, of course, Chicago's Kevin Lockery and Boston were led by KC Jones. The DVD that we allegedly had access to was the Bulls TV telecast, and this time it was a different combo of commentators. We had John Mengelt, name we've heard before but also the legendary marty glickman was called in as an audible i guess in place of a fogged in milo hamilton who couldn't make it from chicago due to the weather and a quick shameless self-promotion mate inorlandis.com slash 52 that was our episode about the great nba commentators where we had many many sound bites of some of the greatest moments in nba history if you don't mind so definitely worth checking that one
1: out as well undoubtedly one of our finest episodes for sure. One of the top 52 at least.
0: Now, a random stat for Chicago. They had lost three straight games heading into this game. They'd also dropped 10 in a row on the road and were 1-6 and in, in the month of February. So things were looking up for the
1: Bulls. Bit of a slump. <laughs> Just a slight one. John Mengel was almost brushing Marty Glickman's hair and feeding him grapes. <laughs> he was uh, quite effusive <laughs> with his uh, his praise of Marty Glickman and his place in NBA commentary history, wasn't he? He was. During the game itself, I actually
0: got the impression that they didn't
1: exactly get along. Didn't gel. Did you get that as well? Yeah, I didn't gel at all.
0: Yeah, and there's a couple of times where they contradicted one another and then also seemed to just be having slight jabs at one another. I might be reading too much into it, but that's the opinion I got from listening to the call of the game as well. Now, during the pregame banter between John Mengelt and Marty Gluckman, you can see MJ in the background putting on an absolute clinic and you hear the crowd react to each of his moves. On one move to the hoop, He had a big-time jam that left the backboard shaking, Daryl Dawkins-style, for a few seconds as well, and the crowd went absolutely bonkers. The crowd were humming
1: on that one, weren't they? They were indeed. So without further ado, mate, let's get straight into the game. Into the first quarter. Firstly, the voice of legendary Boston Celtics PA man Andy Jick and his elongated pronunciation of player names greeted us during the introductions, which really set the stage for this game Cornbread Maxwell was out for this game for Boston after undergoing arthroscopic surgery on his knee on that day, I believe it was. Quick side note, mate. We are going to do all
0: possible to get Andy Jick on the show to have a chat with him. He is one of the iconic PA men of all time in any sport, but particularly the NBA, of course, and he's right up there alongside Ray Clay for mine in terms of just the overall appeal for his pre-game introductions and just adding to the atmosphere, as you just mentioned, so... Hopefully, we'll have Andy on the show
1: going forwards, mate. We'll see how it goes. Robert, the Chief parish, was playing this game with a sprained ankle. They weren't sure if he was actually going to suit up, but he started the game for the Celtics. He looked a bit proppy on it early as well and then went out and scored eight of the Celtics' first 16 points. <laughs> Larry Bird picked up off his 40-point night in Denver the night before by drilling the first points of the game, a wide-open 20-footer as Orlando Woolridge lost him through a screen. John Mengelt mentioned that Wes Matthews had started the previous 24 games for the Bulls after Ennis Watley had uh, missed a practice. Dave Corzine was doing his best Bill Wennington impersonation on back-to-back 17-footers off a curl to open the scoring for the Bulls. MJ went to work on DJ on the following Bulls possession, taking him baseline, only to have uh, DJ strip him clean and get the steal. This led to a Robert Parrish jump hook and a 6-4 Celtics lead and a very early 20-second timeout for Chicago. MJ then returned the favour to DJ a little later on by doing the exact same thing to him. MJ's first score of the game was a hard drive on DJ to about 10 feet. He stopped pump fake to get Kevin McHale off his feet and then took an extra step into the hoop for the M1 bank shot. It was a very sweet move. Marty Glickman said on the replay he would have blown the whistle also on a travel. A unique
0: thing I already noticed about Glickman, and I haven't heard him call barely any games at all, except for when his voice was used in highlights. He said the player jersey number quite often. To I guess he must have been used to the radio calling style of play from back in the 60s and 70s and wherever else he was involved, but he would certainly say range number 44, DJ number three,
1: and things like that as well, just to sort of add to the setting up of the game, I guess. It's a cool thing too. like It shows you how far Bucky went as a commentator as well. And I think it had even work today for a guy who called games on radio if he wanted to be even more concise about what he was calling during the game. So I enjoy that. The following night's game against Golden State at Chicago Stadium was half-price balcony night with seats going for $3.25 and $4.50 seats going for (laughs) $2.25. Absolute bargain basement, that sort of stuff. The following game on February 26th against the Cavs was Michael Jordan poster night. I absolutely love these little advertisements during games that promote upcoming games and promotional nights and whatnot. So I always feel the other need to bring them up. Larry Bird made a beautiful pass to an open Kevin McHale under the hoop only to have Kevin go up and block his own shot on the front of the rim and miss an easy two points. <laughs> Dave Corzine added to his impersonation repertoire with a Moses Malone rendition on back-to-back <laughs> offensive rebounds and a putback to get off to a great start in the game and to bring the Bulls back within 20-16. to 16. At this point, Corzine had started the previous 21 games in place of the injured Colwell Jones. On the following play, he ran the floor well and received a beautiful spinning pass from Wes Matthews on a dunk. He appeared to be doing his best to take advantage of the ankle injury that the Chief was carrying during this game. So we've already had a Bill Wennington mention and then a Moses
0: Moses Malone mention as far as Dave Corzine's play in this game, mate. So that's
1: always good. And I'm not finished yet. All right, good. On Friday, March 1st, the following game for the Bulls against the Knicks at home, fans could hang around and enjoy a free concert from the Four Tops, who were a Motown foursome from Detroit.
0: Yeah, this was all the rage back in the 84, 85 season. I found out through the research in previous episodes of this series where there have been numerous ads. The Milwaukee Bucks, for one, spring to mind. They also were having concerts after games as well as an attempt to sort of bundle in a whole entertainment aspect to the, the game and then also a concert following. So, yeah, quite Clever marketing back in the mid-80s there for trying to get the the fans
1: on seats. One from the things I thought I'd never Google list, the four tops. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I also learnt yesterday, and we'll
0: mention it in a future episode of the show, Cool and the Gang and their famous song, Celebration, was the Bulls' victory song during the 84-85 season. So that
1: was very interesting to note as well. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Larry Bird hit on back-to-back jumpers for the Celtics, the first a 20-footer from the top. He then banked a corner three to which John Mengelt said he'd ask him after the game if he meant that. <laughs> the shot drew a smile from Larry and a 25-20 to Celtics lead. Larry drew. Anyhow. Larry was definitely susceptible defensively down low against more athletic guys, which I guess yeah makes sense. Guys like Orlando Woolridge and Steve Johnson often had their way with him a little... Uh, in scoring in the paint, Quinn Daly's entry into the game was met with a field goal attempt. <laughs> what a surprise! John Mangal spoke about Daly's improved field goal percentage, which was immediately followed by Glickman's. Daily missing (laughs) as Q missed missed a 15-footer.
0: This is what I was talking about earlier where they seem to have a little bit of a – I'm not even too sure how to describe it, but I don't think it was antagonistic, but they certainly had their
1: own ways about how they wanted to call the game, and if they didn't agree, they wouldn't agree. Yeah. Larry's next shot drew the – he makes them up as he goes along call from Glickman. He got Dave Corzine off his feet and then steps through and underhand scoops a shot. Through the net, absolutely brilliant freelance basketball shot making from Larry and a 31-22 Boston lead. Dave Corzine then hit Greg Kite up with one of those Eliza on fadeaways and a three-point <laughs> opportunity, giving him 11 points in the first quarter. And it was 32-25 Celtics after one.
0: Great stuff there from Dave Corzine, having a very important first quarter, but also even more importantly perhaps, We've got a Bill Wennington,
1: Moses Malone, came Elijah on Triangle there. So <laughs> it was a Hall of Fame first quarter from Dave Corzine. He was actually really, really effective on those fadeaways and often picked up three point play opportunities on them as well. It was a nice floater to the fadeaway. He had nice form. Yeah. As you mentioned, a very apt
0: description would be that he was comparable to Bill Wennington's impact as well. So yeah, good stuff, mate. As we enter the second quarter, I also made mention of the fact how Larry Bird was so inventive with his shot creation capabilities, and I said that it was almost... I said, I'm reading off my notes, it's almost hard to fathom. He manufactured shots to suit the situation, and early in this quarter, he also hit another creative bucket, this time a nice little lefty off the glass.
1: His creativity and his innovation on his shot making was evident in this game with that underhand scoop that he did before, and he also had at least one or two... Flips over his head as well, around the basket to, to put the ball through. Just incredible player.
0: Now, Quentin Daly and Danny Ainge then exchanged jumpers. Then MJ hit on an acrobatic circus shot the next time down the floor. Larry continued his great start to the game and connected on a long two, and he already had 17 points in the half. Conversely, or Nikely, MJ was in low single
1: digits at this point. Thank you for bringing up the converse pun and Larry Bird. I do what I can, mate.
0: A few plays later, Bird drove baseline, although I probably should have said he flew baseline, on Jordan, and MJ drew the offensive foul. Now, this was the third foul on Bird. Bird and fouls. That's a pretty good (laughs) pun too. And he was caged and put on the bench. Oh, man. I've gone over the top there. That's crazy. Scott Wedman replaced Bird. Now, quick side note here. Scott Wedman averaged at least 15 points a game for six of his seven seasons with the Kansas City Kings. He was a two-time All-Star and would win two rings in Boston. So sometimes people understate or undervalue the effectiveness of a player. And you might think, oh, yeah, he didn't do a whole lot on that team. But he was a great player back in the mid-70s and leading into the early 80s, mate.
1: And a role player on one of the greatest NBA teams of all time, no less. Exactly right, mate. The Celtics were then
0: beginning to exert themselves over the Bulls, extending to a double-digit lead, closing in on the halftime break. Jordan hit a nice semi-contested 18-footer to which Mengelt said, bingo, string music. (laughs) That gave MJ nine points for the half. It was good to see the Celtics' Greg kite in the game. I had hoped for a string of good plays, a few of which might wind up on a highlight reel, even a high kite reel, (laughs) but not to be. So that was a bit of a drag. However, (laughs) I returned to reality and kite missed a layup attempt. Now, in the final minutes of the quarter, just rewind that if you actually wanted to and you'll have many a good pun. Both teams looked to be hoping for the buzzer to sound. There were numerous turnovers, poor shot attempts, and just general poor plays. It was pretty ugly to watch. To his credit, Kite stood tall and bodied up well, playing some solid D on the Bulls' big men. Now, Greg Kite had a 12-year career. He played in well over 700 games, so you don't actually do that without having talent and intangibles. Orlando Warriors then threw down a super dunk late in the quarter. Really acrobatic one-hand slam off a Wes Matthews steal. That reduced Boston's lead to just seven, and that would also be the margin at the half.
1: Boston were 53 to 46. During the halftime break, there was a John Mengel interview of Celtics legend Red Auerbach as well, Adam. And it was a great interview too. Red also mentioned about how well the Bulls had played in the uh, first half and said he was looking forward to them getting off Auerbach in the second half. (laughs) An early Celtics turnover, strangely enough, <laughs> by the Celtics. <laughs> Good to see that I'm doubling up on my uh, informativity in my notes. Led to a spectacular Wes Matthews winding layup and a three-point opportunity on the foul by DJ to bring the Bulls within four at 53-49. to The lead for the Celtics got out to 62-51 with 8.39 remaining off back-to-back assists from Larry Bird. The first was a court-length touchdown pass to Ainge, who did very well to catch and finish the shot from behind the backboard. He then hit Kevin McHale, who was overplayed by Steve Johnson for a short shot in the paint. Robert Parrish's ankle problems were making Dave Corzine look almost unguardable down low as the Chief fouled him at the hoop. The ensuing free throws drew a fearsome, isn't he, comment from Glickman as Corzine made both. (laughs) You can also rewind that just to make sure that he said what he did. (laughs) Fearsome, isn't he? About Dave Corzine. Larry Bird was heating up in this quarter with back-to-back jumpers, the second of which was a three. MJ then hit on a nice hanging up and under layup at the other end. Hugh Hollands called Wes Matthews for a foul on Ainge that he didn't like and jumped in the air in disgust. Mengelt then said that everyone hates Hugh Hollands tonight. (laughs) How prophetic that would be for (laughs) Chicago Bulls fans. It would. Fast forward to uh, (laughs) 1994 NBA playoffs,
0: round two, game
1: five. Larry's 24th point came on the next possession, and then another Akeem Corzine layup (laughs) at the hoop to give him 17 (laughs) points for the game. He then threw the ball to Jawan Oldham, who was sitting on the bench on the next play for a silly turnover as he missed Wes Matthews on a very simple three-foot pass. (laughs) Dave was everywhere in this quarter with yet another layup on an overplay by the Chief on the next offensive possession for the Bulls. The next play had the angel-faced, as described by Glickman, Kevin McAngel, drawing the foul from Steve Johnson after dropping two or three perfect elbows, one left, one right, at least, into Steve Johnson's chest before and and one short bank shot.
0: Kevin McAngel was fantastic. <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic. It's going to be very hard for you not to say Kevin McAngel for the rest Macangel. of this
1: series. Kevin McAngel <laughs> Dennis Johnson was playing MJ really well in this game in denying him the ball as the Celtics lead was up to 17 points at 80 to 63 with just over two minutes left in the third. Of some beautiful passing and an age short jumper for some more string music, as John Mengelt liked to say, which I also enjoyed myself, Jordan had just 11 points after three quarters. Larry picked up his 30th point and his fourth personal foul on consecutive plays and checked out of the game for Greg Kite. Mengelt spoke of the 30-12-10 with nine steals game in three quarters at Utah, and he checked out after three quarters and did not return for the game. He actually checked out before
0: the third quarter ended. Yeah.
1: Even more remarkable. With 3 seconds remaining, Q turned the ball over which led to an angel layup at the buzzer for the 86 to 70 lead after three for the Boston Celtics.
0: As we entered the fourth quarter with the Bulls down 16 on the first play, DJ shoots a 20-footer to which Glickman said, "That's his shot." And then Mangelt immediately said, not a good shot for Dennis Johnson on the miss. <laughs> so that was another instance of where they didn't quite, <laughs> didn't quite gel. Rick Carlisle was also participating in this game as well, as, as most players would who are on the Boston Celtics roster, I guess. Mm. He started the final quarter on the floor for the Celtics. Juwan Oldham then had a monster jam and followed that up a few minutes later with a pretty fadeaway jumper in the lane. And the lead was down to 12, 88 to 76.
1: Was it a Corzine-esque fadeaway?
0: It was pretty nice. And I must say, around this period of time, and I noticed this in most recent research for one of our upcoming NB85 episodes, Jawan Oldham really started to have a good impact on the Bulls roster. Mm. He was starting to get you know, 8, 10, 12-point games. He'd have 8, 9, 10-rebound games and also had some monster blocks too. So I look forward to chatting a bit more about the not-often-mentioned to this
1: point Jawan Oldham. He's one of those guys who made it on the Bulls roster through to the, the following season as well. So the Bulls franchise obviously felt he had some value as a backup center. And you figure that the way that Dave Corzine was um, scoring down low, it was really lifting the post game of his teammates and causing them to obviously shoot the ball better. <laughs> that entire statement was
0: just based on the fact you wanted to say Causine in that way, wasn't it? Yes. Off a wild driving layup from MJ, that would have been a remarkable make had it actually been close. Bird had already flown the coop and was down court and scored an easy two on the baseline. A few minutes later, Daly dished to his left on a transition break to a streaking MJ for the double pump jam and the crowd really ate that up. A 10-2 run, which was then punctuated by a Sydney green dunk, brought the Bulls to within 98-91 with less than five minutes to play. Down nine, Jordan then hit Juwan Oldham with a bullet pass, and Oldham made a great catch, and Jawan scored the bucket down low. It was a really tough catch and a great basket, and overall a great move. Dennis Johnson, who had kept the Bulls at bay, Made a few more key jumpers. Right after that, MJ scored on a great move to the hoop. He drew the foul and made the subsequent free throw, and the Celtics were up 105-97. to John Oldham then rejected Robert Parrish with the block of the centenary. (coughs) Think about that one. (laughs) Daly then scored on the ensuing fast break. Chicago only down by six. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that one. hmm MJ connected on two more free throws. Oldham rejected the notion of another Celtics score, and in transition, Jordan canned a jumper, and all of a sudden, the Bulls were within four points, 107 to 103, with less than two minutes remaining. Bird broke Chicago's spirit on the very next play, hitting on a ridiculously tough jumper from about 18 feet. Chicago did outscore the Celtics 34 to 29 in the last period. However, it was too little too late. The final score was 115 to 105, and the Bulls dropped to 25 and 29 on the season. A few quick stats. For the Bulls, MJ had 26 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists, and 3 steals. Orlando Woolridge and Dave Corzine had 18 points apiece. And for the Celtics, Bird had another stellar game, 34 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists. Kevin Kevin McAngel had 24 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists. And Robert the Chief Parrish chimed in (laughs) with 23 points and 11 boards. That's the game itself, mate. Did you want to add anything further before we Before we end this bad boy? Yeah, that's right. I didn't want to say that, so I left it out and you've brought it back.
1: This is a, a bulls centric podcast, but I can tell you right now, it's absolutely fantastic to watch that Boston Celtics team of that era play. And it's also good to hear the likes of Andy Jick announcing the starting lineups for the game. Uh, giddy up.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues, inallairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show.